the, the, only, the real issue that I just run into as I'm like actually trying to build a business is that I don't give any shits about making money. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Today we're talking about basically like anti-capitalism business. I feel like they're gonna do a lot of ranting on this episode because like this is really <laughs> something I rant about a lot. Um, but Becca, who is a business coach and also another podcaster in our podcast network, um, is joining us today. And Becca, why don't you just give like a quick, you know, one sentence introduction to yourself, anything you think the audience needs to know about you. Hi, I'm Becca. I am based in Dallas, Texas. I'm a Squarespace website designer turned business coach who is obsessed with all things customer experience. So I'm excited to come and chat with you guys today. Nice. So... Um, okay, well, I guess to start off, I have one question before I go into, like, talk about my business yeah. too, but how many, when you say business mm -hmm. coach, like, how many businesses have you coached? I've always wondered this when people do any kind of, like, coaching or individual thing. Like, we just had our, um, we had a lot of had, coaching like, episodes yeah. yeah, recently. Yeah. We had, you know, our Giandra's friend Trey went to a style coach, which was super interesting and has also been to a dating coach and stuff like that. And so I'm always just really curious about like people who do coaching. Stuff. Yeah. So I think it looks different for every business owner and business coaching is actually not the majority of my business. Website design is. So yeah. I have coached Mm, I just started coaching this year, actually. So I've coached probably three or four business owners and I have had a handful of others come through in like one-off sessions, not ongoing relationships. So so one thing that I feel like, so I actually, for context, just started a business residency mm -hmm. um, on this past week. Um, and it's basically like a business residency for people who are doing, who are like for specifically women of color in the death care space. Okay. And and it's funny because like this the space itself like death care in general is super crunchy like almost overly so in a lot I of ways. I could see that. <laughs> right? It's not surprising. Yeah. And so it's so interesting to work with people in this space because I have this very corporate background. I worked at Fannie Mae. I've worked in tech like you know very sort of like go-getter kind of like you know organize like that kind of like let's let's like do this mm -hmm. thing kind of uh mentality and i feel like that is actually almost seen as like being really aggressive in the death care space and i feel like there's so many people that i've met who are like i want to build a business and you know do business stuff um for myself and they're sort of but we're all sort of in this conundrum of operating in a system that we don't believe in which is like the system of capitalism right i feel like there's so many people who are like okay we recognize and understand i feel like it's so hard to even be a sort of person who consumes the news and media and like you know someone who operates in the media space um that we are currently in without being like okay yeah capitalism has some serious issues of in terms of sustainability and exploitation and burnout and blah 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 blah, blah down the line right and yet on the other side of that i feel like i'm often so frustrated like having to work with people who are like let's not be deadline driven you know like <laughs> let's just like <laughs> do like whatever our spirit moves us to do or whatever and then i'm like wait a second like that's not, that's gonna, not work. gonna work yeah <laughs> 
And so, like, I'm so curious, like, when you, you know, talk to businesses, like, is this a common mentality that you've also seen, especially because, like, you know, you, I imagine, and you tell me if this is a false assumption, that you've seen, like, businesses in a lot of different types of industries, right? And I'm, like, wondering whether or not this is, like, a conundrum that you kind of have encountered before. Yeah, so I work with service-based businesses primarily. I don't really touch the e-commerce space. Um, yeah. And I think it is a conundrum that people are experiencing, but I don't know if they always, I guess, label it in the same way that you have. A lot yeah. of times in kind of the conversation that led us to the conversation we're having right now is feeling like I want to do something different that, like different than what exists within the space that exists. And that in itself is, mm -hmm. it's a weird situation to be in when you create an offer that people don't necessarily understand because it looks different, but you have to call it by a name that is a commonly accepted term. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it doesn't quite match, but it also doesn't not match. Am, should, should I give you a more clear mm -hmm. example? Would that help? Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. So for me, for instance, when I started into business coaching, I thought a lot about what this space needed, what could change, what I wanted to do differently. And the thing that I came up with was mainly two things. I think people are looking for a sense of community when they find a coach. And I also think that the way in which people structure offers doesn't necessarily solve the problem at hand. So because at a certain point in your business, I feel like community is the main driver, then having a go-to relationship would help to solve the issue of a lack of community. But instead, what we tend to see is people creating these three-month offers where you have to very structured talk to each other on a weekly basis or bi-weekly basis. But that doesn't solve for the, the problem of, hey, I got this idea right now and I'm ready to talk about it and I want to break it down with someone, but I have to wait for my call in two weeks with my business coach. Mm -hmm. So I ended up creating an offer that was like business coaching on demand. So all of my clients are on Boxer. And when they have an idea, they talk to me and they tell me about it. And if I don't hear from them, I check in with them and I see what's going on and what we can work on and help them move the needle forward. But I called it business coaching, but it wasn't necessarily business coaching in the traditional sense that we have seen presented in this space. But there wasn't really a better word that applied so that people that I was speaking to understood so that, I think that's kind of the, the situation a lot of my clients find themselves in is I want to be creative. I want to have this new offer. I want to try this new thing. But how do I talk about it and how do I exist in a space of these other offers that don't look like it that everyone's used to? Mm, yeah, totally. Like I feel like coaching in and of itself is like – I feel like for me, the, I don't I don't have super great associations with the word, but I feel like that's because I don't like the association with sports as this <laughs> like thing where it's like – <laughs> oh, like you can win, you can get better at something. Yeah. I feel like often people yeah. don't want necessarily this like aspirational, like, oh, I'm going to be like treat my, co my, my, my business like I'm an athlete who's trying to like get my, you know, sp like, you know, 100 meter sprint down to a like lower number, right? Yeah, it's 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 a saturated market right now. So I also have kind of like yeah. medium association. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's like it, it makes it seem like it's a I, I feel like I use this word like not in the way that traditionally you use this pe people use this word but i feel like it makes it seem like an aspirational thing of like oh you can plot your progress and it's like a yeah. you know up and to the right kind of a you know 
mm-hmm. plot. And I feel like when you're like what coaching actually, it sounds like from what you're saying, right? Often what people are actually just looking like is like an accountability partner mm-hmm. or just like a friend yeah. or like, you know, something like that, right? Yeah. And I think it depends on the stage in your business too, right? Like when I was first in my business, I had two very, very wonderful coaches and I was looking for education and knowledge. I didn't know what I needed to do. I didn't know how to grow. I didn't know the things that I didn't know. And I probably could have figured them out on my own, but I figured them out faster with help. But at this point in my business, and when I talk to a lot of people who are a few years into their business, they've kind of transitioned from the need of knowledge to the need of conversation and ideation and all of those things. And I also, I love when you said that it felt like a trajectory that you had to kind of win, because that's one of the other things that I wish would change in this space too, is I feel like there's this idea that isn't explicitly said, but like this idea that I'm the coach and therefore I am here and I know all the things and you are the coachee, they are the mentee. So they're like kind of below and like asking for help. But I really feel like coaching should be a relationship of equals. And I think that's where a lot of people get it wrong, maybe both as the coach and as what they're expecting when they enter into a coaching relationship as the mentee as well. Yeah, it does feel like I definitely understand what you're saying before about like, it seems like this is a thing that is like adjacent to coaching, but maybe not exactly what people think of when they think of coaching. And it can be really hard to figure out what that label is, you know, because if you a business because business partner is already taken (laughs) that already means something and if you change the language then as a person running a business who still wants to make sales and wants to make money the language change means you have to educate people on what the new word means and what you do and what you offer and how you help them all over again when there is a word that doesn't Mm. quite fit but it explains it well enough do you ever feel like there's dissonance between like your desire slash like need to be able to like label this service as something that can like make you money versus like what you actually want to do? I think so. I think I would hope that most people who go into coaching and I would include myself in this category, like I started it because I saw so many people feeling lonely feeling lost and struggling and not necessarily because they're not experts at what they do or the business that they have. But there are so many things that when you start a business or a podcast, I'm sure you guys have experienced this. Like maybe you start the podcast because you love podcasting and you have conversations that you want to have, but then you have to market the podcast and you need the website for the podcast and you need the tech stack for the podcast. And there are all of these other skills that are adjacent skills to running your business or your show, but they're not the thing that you really started it to do. And I feel like that's just this interesting phenomenon that a lot of people don't expect when they start a business. And then you feel a lot of frustration around having to do certain things that aren't the reason why you started to begin with. So the reason I got into coaching is I just, I kind of recognized that in myself. I recognized it in others and I wanted to provide that sense of community and support for people who were feeling similar things to what I was feeling. So are you a hundred percent self-employed right now or do you like have a day job? I am, but I also think that it is really important to be transparent and I am married. I live with my husband and at this point my business covers my expenses, but like that's about it. 
And when we right. made the the transition for me to jump into my business full time, because I started as a side hustle three years ago, um, we mm-hmm. went into it knowing his salary could cover our expenses if we needed it to. And I don't think that yeah. that's a conversation that enough people have about their businesses either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I feel like there's so many examples that I know of where people are like getting media for their businesses and things like that. And you're like, oh, my God, how is this person able to do this? And I'm like, there's so often like, you know, a story like yeah. that. Right. <laughs> but I also think one of my favorite conversations is about redefining what success means to you in your life. And so I I feel like, and this maybe goes back to the, like, the capitalism discussion at the beginning that we were talking about, but I feel yeah. like there's this pull toward these huge numbers because we've seen people who are raking in $500,000 a year, which really, when you think about it, to me, is like, that's a, that's an obscene amount of money. You know what I mean? Like, I, if, I, if I made $500,000 a year, I don't know if I would know what to do with it. And that isn't my yeah. personal goal. But sometimes mm-hmm. it, I have felt along my business journey that it should be. But when you think about like, is it really and why and all of those things, like, no, my goal is to have a life that I love, a life that supports me, a business that supports me, and the freedom to spend time with the people that I love and using my skills and my creativity in that, that vein, I guess, if you will. So mm-hmm. that's my success. Somebody else's may yeah. be different and that's okay. Well, I guess mm-hmm. my question would be, do you have anything that d- is sort of a like, okay, because it, it feels like if you have that now, then your business is like already successful. But I guess then from that, how is there any sort of like, do you have a notion of like growth or goals for your business yeah. that you feel like would make it like more quote unquote successful? Yeah. So it's funny because the way I think about goals is, I feel like not the way most people think about goals. We've probably already seen that. Um, I don't necessarily have a monetary value. When I think about monetary goals in my business, I think about survive and thrive. So what do I need to survive is covering my expected expenses and, you know, like a cushion for an emergency savings fund. And then thriving is like all of the extras on top of that. And I don't necessarily put a number to it, but it's more of a feeling like, can I go get my weekly manicure? And which I don't actually get. That's just a random example. (laughs) But um, can I, you know, travel, you know, like it's Thursday. So maybe tomorrow can I pick up and book a flight if I really wanted to? Like those are the things that to me are thriving, the flexibility to do what I want in my life. Um, The goals that I have in my business are more around I guess the offers and what I want my business to feel like. So one of the things I'm working on right now is creating a community for women so that they can actually have genuine connection. And so again, this is where like words don't mean what I want them to mean, but like a quote unquote networking community, but not like networking in the sense that we all have probably experienced. Um, So something that's kind of like quote unquote networking, but also with like a mastermind component mixed in. So my next thing I'm reaching for is getting that community live and then filling it with incredible people. And and then I guess I'll see what happens after that. Mm-hmm. So when you started your business, like were you primarily motivated by like those kind of personal goals of like, this is what I want my life to look like. And this is how my business will help me do that. And like, will allow me to have the career that I want. Or were you thinking of it more in the context of like a 
global, like, this is the impact that I need my business to make from sort of a, like, a outside standpoint? You know what I mean? That's a really good question. I think I was pretty intrinsically motivated at the beginning and not, I guess, in a negative way, but more so in a way that I actually have a business degree and I wasn't, I wasn't using it in my nine to five. And so I, my concentration was in entrepreneurship and strategy. And so I kind of had this thought of like, to be honest, I was a little bit bored at work (laughs) and I needed to spend my time on some other things. So I had this thought of like, okay, I just want to see if I can do it. I want to see if I can start a business. And it kind of coincided with me um, designing a blog for myself. Friends started asking about it. I had a friend who basically was like, hey, can you help me design my website? And I said, sure. And at the end, she just like gave me money that I didn't ask for and was like, you should start a business as a website designer. So without her, I don't know if I would have ever truly made the leap. But once I was in it, I was kind of like, I just want to figure out what are all of the logistics? Like what actually happens when you start a business? Because in all of my like heady strategy discussions in business school, you don't actually ever talk about that part. So it was really just kind of figuring mm-hmm. it out. And from there, I just became really passionate about this idea of, of creating community. And I feel like that's the thing that, I mean, maybe that's a, a, a conversation about society in general is that we tend to have a pretty individualistic society. And we've kind of moved away from that essence of community over time that we used to have in a lot of aspects. So maybe I'm just seeing it as like a subset of this service-based business space as well. Mm-hmm. Why did you get a business degree? Oh, good question. <laughs> <laughs> like if like you're like, oh, I, I, I had yeah. this business degree and I wasn't. <laughs> so this is this is the short version of my life. I am my undergraduate degree is in Middle Eastern history. And I did that because I became super obsessed with this one specific professor and I wanted to take all of her classes. And she was so cool. She was like literally the coolest person I've ever met in my entire life to this day. So I took all of her classes and then suddenly I had a major. So I graduated and wasn't using my Middle Eastern history degree in any way, shape or form. I eventually was like, okay, I feel like there are things that my friends know and that my peers know that I don't know about quote unquote business. And so I found a program and I was working in a nonprofit at the time. So I found a program that was actually a dual degree. So I have two master's degrees, uh, one in business and one in nonprofit management. And so the goal was basically understanding how to run a nonprofit organization. And through that Mm. process, I learned that I didn't want to work for nonprofits any longer. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's often what happens. I was a nonprofit studies minor and um, that's during my undergrad. So, and I've like, you know, I'm also in the game yeah. right now working for now they're, they're wonderful <laughs> and there's a lot of really great aspects about them and i actually have an interesting observation so i have another business friend and she told me that she quit her job started her business because she wanted to make an impact in the world and she felt like in a corporation she just she couldn't make the impact that she wanted to make And so I thought it was really interesting that like my whole background was nonprofit and corporate social responsibility and all of these things that were so focused on impact. And then when it came down to creating my business, that wasn't necessarily my primary driver. But then somebody who didn't have that background, that was their only driver. So I don't don't know if that's a trend other people will resonate with, but I thought it was a really interesting observation. I think it's something about being like ingratiated in the space and like interacting with it with a long time that really just makes you 
like want to kind of just like throw your hands up and be like i actually just can't i can't care about this anymore yeah because this can be so taxing i feel like we've heard a lot about compassion fatigue over the last two years but i think that if you're in the nonprofit space it's a very real thing kind of 24 7 in your life for sure and it's hard to, to separate yourself from the multitude of causes and the fact that if you feel as though you have the skills to make an impact in a variety of ways, like how do you pick one and which one is the right one? There's a lot of there's a lot of like mind games that go on when you think about that space. Yeah, for sure. Isabel, what about you? I mean, you I, I feel like in the time that I've known you, which I think is like been five-ish years now, I feel like you've always wanted to start a business and you and that kind of, but like you've shifted on the kind of business, like has your motivation for why you want to be a business owner changed over the last five years? Well, my motivation for why, so I think, I think, I don't know if this is really gonna answer your question, but like, I feel like I <laughs> didn't, like I didn't, I knew I didn't really care to work for a company anymore because I actually loved working in all of my jobs, but I just felt like I really was not, being challenged at all like weirdly i'm I'm kind of I, yeah i feel like a college education prepares you like perfectly to work at like you know a big corporation and like you know be this cog and it's like super easy like my life was very easy right and now i'm kind of like okay let her, i was sort of like let me just do something that i feel like will actually challenge myself and like build something and like you know use sort of like all of the investments that i've gotten in my education for something that is closer to like what i think the world needs right which is not to say that doesn't have to align with the vision of any other company but like I feel like it would be a good challenge. And also we live in a place where it's particularly built for um, building companies, right? Because I was sort of like, I got out of college and was like, look, I really want to make an impact. And I definitely know that I had this complex from like, like I had this high school teacher who would always say shit to us. Like, you guys are the future leaders of the global village. And I like internalized that so hardcore. I was like, like, yes, that's me. (laughs) There are worse things to internalize. Yeah, and so I was sort of like, look, I don't, I, f- I feel like it is sort of like my moral obligation to like go out and do as much as I possibly can to try to like have a positive impact, right? And I felt like the two ways that you could possibly do that were to either run for office or build a business, right? Because if I, you know, if you, if you had asked me like, okay, what are the various like, you know, huge forces in the world that are sort of shaping our society, I feel like those are basically the main ones mm-hmm. right the the, only, the real issue that i just run into as i'm like actually trying to build a business is that i don't give any shits about making money like <laughs> which is really difficult if you're trying to like <laughs> do anything like get an investor or like you know do anything that actually is involved in building a business right mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean like yeah. the answer could just be like one day i'm gonna have to hire someone to like you know figure out the money stuff for me but like can i actually call it a business if i like really want to i don't care if people pay me money to do any of the things that i'm doing like i found like luckily for me i feel like i found a niche where like there's plenty of need for the skills that i have right because like so many people who work in the death care space 
no offense to them, are really old and don't understand technology at all, but everyone needs to figure out how to understand, you know, technology to do the things they need to do now because we're in this like post-COVID world, right? So there's actually a lot of demand, right? For like the sort of like design and like tech expertise that I have. And like hypothetically, I probably could ask people to pay me a lot more money to do that, but I just don't care. <laughs> and in fact, I almost feel like if you do something that you think is actually like like morally good for the world it's sort of like is there i feel like there's just a, a, been a lot of grappling with how if you think that someone really like is is their life is going to be made better for what you do like is there some perversity in asking them to pay you money for it especially because i feel like like capitalism the the venn diagram of like problem like really really difficult problems that need to be solved in the world right are things like homelessness or like you know poverty or hunger or whatever right like and those big big problems are like for the large part not solved by capitalism because we live in a capitalist society and those are the biggest problems we still have right and like the venn diagram of like okay here are the things that businesses can actually solve for right it's things like oh you know like i am you know spending 20 seconds every time i need to un you know un tangle my headphone cord so let's make the like airpods and then charge them 150 dollars right <laughs> so it's sort of like you know capitalism can only solve the problems that rich people have right and it's sort of like where is the overlap right between like the the real like you know hard difficult problems that need to be solved like ch climate change or something and like the things that capitalism is is actually useful for solving and i feel like that mm -hmm. overlap is really small right <laughs> but what are your thoughts on that i have like 20 thoughts in my head at the same time about that yeah. i think that yeah in this space that you're in it's it makes it, it a lot it kind of simplifies the the difference between like moral or immoral in terms of like taking yeah. money for the service that you offer which i totally right. understand i think mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense but if you break it down to look at something like oh i'm gonna butcher the name but the 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 movement the company that's cleaning up the oceans um oh i don't i know i know what company you're talking about i have no clue like what it's great, called great ocean cleanup i think something along those lines um okay but to me then it's like that is a pretty large problem in our world, right? That we have polluted mm -hmm. the earth to the point that like there's plastic in every cell that exists. That's a huge problem. Yeah. But yeah. I don't think that it's necessarily immoral to pay someone to clean up the oceans. Not and I'm using immoral, I guess, and that's a pretty yeah. pretty lofty word to use, but 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 then you also have to look at where the money comes sure. from, right? Like yeah. is it is it worse if you ask every person in the world to donate five dollars to clean up the ocean and maybe they don't have five dollars or do you ask every government in the world to give hundreds of thousands of dollars and then is that okay well so do you listen to how i built this i don't okay so there was a episode of how i built this the other day that was really i think a, a really good example of, of this of this phenomenon i'm talking about right so there's this guy Jan, I don't remember his last name, but he was the founder of this company that basically is the largest um, producer of the machines that do carbon capture, right? Basically, these machines are basically like um, shipping containers with like a ton of fans in them. 
and like carbon capture is like one of the main techniques we need to utilize to basically combat climate change right and you know he was talking about how like this isn't a nonprofit, right it's a for-profit company and he's like oh yeah well who is going to pay us to take the carbon out of the air right it doesn't like monetarily benefit many people at all from a business standpoint right, right? so the way he started out mm -hmm. his pilot was like he was like okay you know they have this big facility in like iceland or something and they basically take the carbon out of the air and he's like okay who can we literally possibly sell this carbon to and he was like okay i guess we could sell it to like coca-cola and they can put it in soft drinks right but there's only so many soft drinks obviously that you can like right. there's we have to get rid of <laughs> six to ten billion tons of carbon there's like no way we're drinking six to ten billion like you know carbon's worth of it's also just funny to think about like just having like a giant stockpile <laughs> of carbon and you don't know what to do with it by the way that's just really funny right like the his said his long-term plan is that they just basically need to like bury it in the earth right but like from a from a you can apparently just turn the carbon into like rocks okay. right and you just bury it just like nuclear waste um and because the, the issue ultimately also with the coca-cola thing is that people burp the carbon back out so it doesn't even really solve the <laughs> so problem. they would just be selling the thing yeah. to do the process all yeah. over again to it would yeah. be like a, its own circular economy <laughs> right so right. it was literally just like a exercise in can we come up with any market like solution to this problem and the answer was like seemingly basically no right oh, wow and like hypothetically if markets really like you know worked in the way that i think we theoretically want them to like people would would want to pay this guy literally just to save the planet because that's going to be a huge cost to all of humanity forever mm -hmm. right <laughs> <laughs> but that's not how markets work right so like i think he's having a huge difficulty in terms of like okay how are we actually gonna like he basically has to rely on governments passing like carbon neutral or carbon negative policies like basically town by town city by city state by state yeah. right uh -huh. And then basically the way they would do that is diverting their like tax money to basically pay his company to install these, you know, machines in their locality. Right. But like that's a super like roundabout way to try to like force capitalism to solve the problem that you're trying to solve. Right. Yeah. And it's like not obviously going to work. So I feel like there's a lot of things like that where it's like, okay, maybe someone's paying these people to like, you know, clean the ocean. But like, is it governments? And like, we have to rely on government policy to basically get around the market. It's not really the market that is actually enabling them to do the good work that needs to be done. Right. Like, is it? I don't know. I have no idea who's actually paying the ocean clean. I don't people, know either. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so like i feel like that's one of the problems that like is just sort of per a, a a perpetual conundrum is like the things we really need to do are not are kind of outside of capitalism problems from a humanity yeah. like a macro level humanity standpoint because like I, I would love for example like i think so many of the of the jobs that really really need to be done right are things like that are not highly economically paid you know, valued at all, right? It's like teachers and parents and caregivers and blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah, right? Like those jobs all don't get, get paid terribly, right? And, and it's almost like, would we even want those jobs to be paid well? Because then you would get people who are like trying to become a teacher for the money and like, that's not great either, right? Like that seems like that would also be a perverse incentive. 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, like, do we want it, the people who are probably, like gross, like wall, like like Wall Street people to be like your kindergarten teacher? Like, I feel like maybe no. no. I think that we want there's a, there's an equilibrium here, okay, right? Okay. It's like there's some economic point where like the amount of money that you're offering is not enough to entice people that have no interest in kids to become teachers, but enough to encourage people that do want to be teachers and are already teachers to keep teaching. Mm -hmm. There's some economic balance there. I think that like, I think that most people recognize that being a teacher really is really fucking hard and that, you know, a hundred thousand dollars is not, not a, not a good enough reason. But here's the thing, because we know it's so important. There are people who are going to be teachers regardless. Like even if you pay them 30 K a year, right. Even if you pay them the minimum wage. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. The incentive is bad for like, in terms of like, it's like I mean, as we we've 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 hashed this on the like, podcast several times. It's just really hard to trust that people will be good people and do things for good reasons. Like that, that just doesn't really happen. Right, but that's like kind of like yeah, where the capitalism comes in is like you know, is that then producing a, the bad reason? But on the other hand, like yes, I want moms to get paid. I want caregivers to get paid. Right. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what are, sorry, Becca, you can you can talk for a little bit. What are some of your other thoughts on this? No, I, I just have a billion. I feel like I'm just going to rant the whole time if you just let me go. I, I just have a billion thoughts in my head about this conversation and not enough time to process them in order to tell you all of them on, on the show. But yeah, um, yeah I, I don't know. The thing that I just keep wondering as you were speaking is like what is the obligation of the individual right like the examples that we're giving are these huge companies that are doing huge things but when you take it down to like a solopreneur which is how i identify and a lot of you know my friends and colleagues because i don't have coworkers, yeah. um <laughs> identify yeah. as well so when you when you take a look at the individual and how the individual needs to live in a society that is capitalistic and make money mm-hmm. to pay their bills, but also might have opinions that like see the flaws in capitalism. What then? I don't know the answer. Yeah. I feel like it's hard be- when you, when you like, you know, are a single, like, you know, a solopreneur or something like that to figure out like you know where is your role in like the the larger ecosystem of like okay like how are we working together to like build the society you want to live in right um because i do wonder like you know is there so like you know a lowered expectation therefore or like you know should we say like you know no you have just as much you know responsibility to do this as anybody else just because like sort of like the scope of your business might be less than like a huge company mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know like what that actually looks like. I'm just like I feel like that is sort of my gut theoretical framework around it, but I don't know what that looked like in practice. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think it's because it hasn't probably hasn't been yeah. built yet. Or at least like not mm-hmm. like aggressively publicized, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part about a lot of this stuff is like it has to be like it's all new it's a lot of it's new territory right. and like you gotta like birth it from someone's <laughs> weird head. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. You know? And like, I do think that a lot of it is figuring out what is the right scale, right, to do to both live the life you want to live, right, and also be able to like achieve goals. Because like, that's something I feel like, like, a lot of the goals that I have for the broader world, and like, we have so many like, 
really ridiculously hard problems to solve as a generation, right? Like that in my mind can only be done as a member of a, some kind of community. But like maybe it's a business community, maybe it's like our podcast network, like what I don't know what the right like sort of scale is to be the most effective in terms of like trying to actually achieve those goals because I do think that like in a lot of ways big businesses are not effective, right? Which is why we're so like, you know, against them because culturally you'd feel like you're just a cognitive machine you don't feel like a person you're like you know these are machines and i don't want to be a machine i want to be a human being right but where is like the the level of scale between those two things that actually allows you to thrive in a community and also like you know try to achieve big things that like you know we want people to that that's a big part of career fulfillment also yeah. right i don't know if it's that individuals have a lower responsibility i think they just have a different responsibility that you know to the extent and the ability of their influence almost yeah. because i mean the, the approach i've taken in my business is my own podcast probably bothered i literally started it because i was so bothered by so many things i was seeing in this space and so for yeah. me like that is my active rebellion, if you will, against the space that I exist in, <laughs> which is a weird concept that I literally just talk about everything that bothers me about the thing that I do. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. but if you don't talk about it, if you don't start the conversations, then you can't progress ideas forward, right? So, mm -hmm. and and I know that it's one of those things that people are there. People are having these thoughts. People share the thoughts that you're sharing today. But if nobody talks about them, like that's the first step, right? Is saying, hey, I think these things, I have these opinions and other people coming forward and saying like, I do too. And that is also how communities form and how change is made. Well, thanks, Becca. Thank you. I feel like we've had like a very like kind of roundabout yet like natural discussion about all this shit. <laughs> all this, <laughs> You guys all these have things. given me a lot of things to think about and I feel like my brain is just going to be spinning the rest of the evening. So I really enjoyed this. I, I learned a lot. I made a lot of opinions on the fly, but I hope I hung with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So let's, let's, um, let me think of an out, an outro question for you. What is the last concert you saw, and was it sick? <laughs> oh, I feel like you guys are going to judge me for my answer. <laughs> it, I, feel like, I feel like we probably won't, unless it's Imagine Dragons. I hope it's not Imagine no. Dragons. <laughs> um, it was either George Strait or Garth Brooks. Okay. Oh, great. I both I fantastic. am a country person through and through country music. So <laughs> same. Yeah, it was great. Both of them are like old school performers. Like they actually put on a show. They don't just like stand there and sing. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know George Strait was still doing it was, the thing. I, I don't go to a lot of concerts, now, so it was probably a while ago. <laughs> it was it was his farewell tour, the Cowboy Rides Away tour. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So it was probably a few years ago. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I love country music. Awesome. No <laughs> I don't go to concerts at all. So I, I, <laughs> and Isabel doesn't I, care I about had to go back like five years in my brain on that one. So <laughs> Beautiful. Well, 
this is this is your time. Please plug whatever you want to plug. Oh, if you guys want to chat with me more, I hang out on TikTok. It is my favorite new obsession. And my name is I am Becca Simone. It's I guess that on TikTok and Instagram. So I'd love to hear from you if you have thoughts on the episode or anything along those lines. Mm-hmm. And what's your, uh, does your podcast have an Instagram? Uh, my podcast Instagram is just at probably bothered. Great. And as always, you can find us at I'm the villain pod. That's our Gmail. That's our Twitter. That's our Instagram. Otherwise, bye. <laughs>